0: Welcome to the Armour Men's Health Hour with Dr. Mystery and Donna Lee. Hello, and welcome to the Armour Men's Health Hour. I'm Dr. Mystery, your host, here with my co host, the professional comedian and effervescent office manager, Donna Lee. I'm also a professional office manager. You know, Donna, uh, people call here asking for you for some reason because I'm awesome. Well, there you are. I'm a board certified urologist. This is a men's health show. Uh, This show is brought to you by NAU urology specialists. We are experts in the field of uh, male and female urologic health, which can include kidney stones, kidney cancer, bladder cancer, bladder stones, prostate cancer, prostate stones. I guess it's kind of a theme.
1: You've said that before. I can tell you have practiced.
0: We um, uh, also do a number of things that are really specific for men's health, like uh, testosterone replacement therapy, erectile dysfunction. We also do um, advanced surgery for erectile dysfunction, including the infamous FLP.
1: Funny looking beepy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> FLP doesn't work when you say dingling. We have uh, quite a large practice, although we started in 2007 with just one physician provider, little old me, and then we are now up to seven physician providers, four PA and nurse practitioners. We have in-house sex therapy, in-house nutrition counseling, in-house pelvic floor physical therapy, in-house sleep apnea testing, and what I think is a really holistic, whole-person approach to male health. Mm
1: -hmm. One day, though, we're going to talk about female health.
0: We talk about it all the time. Mm.
1: Not enough. That's right.
0: Yes. Women know how to hurt us, so we have to talk about their health, too. Today, we are joined by uh, one of our partners here, Dr. Lucas Giacometes. Hello, Lucas.
1: Hello. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate the love.
0: I will tell you that uh, no other person uh, demonstrates the impact that a microphone will have on your voice more than Dr. (laughs) Giacometes.
1: Why, thank you so much. Very kind.
0: When you come to see him as a patient, you will find him to be very similar in voice to a 16-year-old prepubescent boy. (laughs) But somehow here, he has become very really. white. This is
1: where I grow. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I, where I drop the octaves down, yeah, and then I'm normally at a Mariah Carey level. <laughs> yeah.
0: Lucas, um, you trained at UT Southwestern. Correct. Uh, I trained at Baylor, of course, College of, course. of Medicine in Houston, if you haven't heard of it. Is uh, I the, grew the up finest. in there. I grew it's up the there. the finest uh, medical institution <laughs> ever. Ever. Um, Spend and, some time there. A great place. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they let you in. That's weird. But uh, <laughs> uh, Research. We both trained in uh, urologic surgery. We have quite a bit of experience. I think between the two of us, we probably have nearly 30 years of urologic experience. God, when you put it that
1: way, I just want
0: to uh, get into my wheelchair and move over. I don't know. It's just uh, <laughs> unbelievable, really. It's unbelievable. And just the, a number of things that we've learned and how much has changed just in urology in our short time, really, on this uh, urology. Logic earth has been amazing. And really, no field has altered more than that for the treatment of an enlarged prostate.
1: I think you said it well. I, I was thinking about all the things that I do now, how few I actually did in residency. I mean, I do kidney stones the same, but prostates, I
0: mean, there was almost nothing that I do now. Actually, nothing I do now I did in residency. It's fascinating because, you know, when you're in training, you think that you're going to come out fully formed like a completely made nice cake when, in fact, you're just, uh, you know, jello going into the refrigerator. It's time to harden up uh, over time and learn more of your skills. You learn the analogies later and you get better and better at making uh, m- making examples of, of how you're going to develop as an individual. When it comes to BPH surgery, on the radio, I feel like uh, it's always been a mantra of ours that this is the kind of the longest time you're going to get with a urologist, uh, you know, this one hour you get a week. Uh, how do you describe what BPH is to a patient and when do you try to convince a patient that surgical intervention is going to be superior to medical intervention?
1: You know, I trained under the great Klaus Ruhlborn in Dallas, who's probably uh, one of the world's most famous benign prosthetic upper or BPH experts. And if if you really want to know, nobody cares if you're a famous urologist. You know, you're still just a urologist. But for those out there who know in the community, and it was always fascinating to see how Klaus would, would talk to people. And I think BPH of all the things that we do single-handedly exemplifies why I think a lot of us went into urology because, you know, we give people options. You say, look, we can try this medication. You can be on this for the rest of your life. If you don't mind, if you don't want surgery, if you don't want procedures, or, you know, we can go straight to an operation or we can go somewhere in between. So just giving people the, the opportunity to have lots of choices. And I think it's just empowering them with knowledge. And even uh, the things I've learned about trying to decide, when is it time to do one or the other?
0: One of the interesting uh, differences between what it's like to practice as a doctor and what it was like to educate as a doctor is that when you're learning about medicine, every patient is just kind of the same. Patient A is a 55-year-old man who has slow flow, urgency, an enlarged prostate. What do you do? And the answer is medicine. But in real life, it's different. Every man's different. Some guys don't tolerate the medicine well not everybody responds to the medicine that well some guys are gung-ho to cert, to operate right away some guys are very uh, very averse to uh, operating some people are based upon people's their their neighbors experience or their fathers experience some people just want to avoid medication at all at, at all costs and fortunately today now we can really kind of tailor Your approach for BPH to really exactly what you want.
1: Right. I think it's reading the patient in front of you. I was thinking about a patient when you said that I saw yesterday who really should not be playing around with medications anymore. This man has had kidney failure, has had catheters multiple times, had hospitalizations for infections. It's time to get to work on this guy, or he potentially could end up. You know, we call it benign prosthetic hyperplasia versus malignant and cancer, but benign prosthetic hyperplasia can have serious. Side effects of kidney failure—not just one kidney, but you kill both kidneys if you don't empty your bladder well. So I think, you know, telling people, no, it's time to do something more about this, and not everybody fits in that perfect box. You know, you need something done.
0: And the number of people that are on medications like Flomax, or also known as Tamsulosin for BPH, and are really not completely satisfied with their treatment is staggeringly high. It's probably the minority of patient that comes in and says, no, no, that medicine works. Perfect. I don't want anything else.
1: My dad is very much. He's uh, on Uroxitrol and I said, Well, he's miserable. And he says, What can I do, son? He's like, Well, you need to go see about getting a surgery. Oh, I don't want to do surgery. Well, then stick with your meds. Well, I don't want to do meds. You know, and it just kind of goes back and forth. And he's he's in Greece right now, so he can't hear this podcast. I don't think so. <laughs> We're, we can make fun of him what we want. No, I love you, dad. There, but the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's no internet in Greece. No, that's it's 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 <laughs> a, it's very very poor, um, very poor country. We you know it's COVID is really hitting it. But seriously, I think um, yes, there's no reason to be a martyr and suffer if the pills aren't doing it for you or even why bother starting with meds sometimes you know that's that's certainly a, a- the switch that I've made over the
0: years. So we've talked about several different treatments on this show before. And if you get a hold of the podcast or ever want to come talk to us for a second opinion, we do green light laser, standard TURP. We do uh, vaporizations of the prostate using the laser. Some of us do whole or or whole gland uh, enucleations of the prostate. We do in-office procedure called Resume, which uses hot steam therapy. Prostate artery embolization is a relatively newer addition to our armamentarium, as well as the in-office Urolift. Uh, Lucas, what kind of treatment intervention do you feel has gotten the most uh, recent uh, improvement in your mind, and what have you had success with?
1: Well, I think it's all, again, about the target. I mean, I've had great successes with Urolift, but even that gentleman I told you earlier, he came to me with another physician elsewhere telling him that he should have a urolift. And I sort of thought, no, he probably need a full resection of the prostate with a plasma button um, I've been very pleased with the plasma button over the last uh, eight years or so that I've switched to it from the green lights. Um, I think everybody's got their own favorite arrow in their quiver. It's just good to have options. Um, and I think among the, the four of us that operate in this clinic, I think it's, it's good that we all have kind of a relative one that we like better than others. And then, you know, you've mentioned also you did about even robotic simple prostatectomies. We don't do them very often, but I think honestly, that's what a lot of people do need sometimes. So I've been very pleased with the plasma button terps. Uh, I've been pleased with the resumes. I've been pleased, very pleased with the Eurolifts. We haven't done, I haven't personally done any PAEs or had patients with it, but I'm interested about it. So I think it's a matter of if patients are ready to jump to a bigger procedure versus maybe do something in between. And if it doesn't work, then do more. You can always do more.
0: You can't usually do less once you've done the bigger case. That's right. I mean, the the idea of this iterative stepwise process through, uh, uh, you know, more and more invasive type procedures may appeal to some. I'd like to do the least that you can to me with the lowest complications and then proceed. BPH surgery is very much a, uh, a cost versus reward kind of uh, trade-off. The more likely something is to work, the more likely you are to have some potential complication. But just for our listeners, none of these procedures are likely to cause impotence. None of them are really likely to cause any incontinence. Uh, They may not work, um, and some of them have varying levels of discomfort in terms of how long you have to wear a catheter. But if you're interested in getting a second opinion on your BPH, if you've kind of been going to the same urologist for years and years or primary care doctor for years and years and that doctor doesn't seem to be adding anything new to your options, uh, call us for a quick phone call. We'd love to do a telemedicine visit with you and talk to you more in depth about uh, options for your BPH. What's really great about uh, us talking uh, together on the show is to kind of showcase differences in how we deal with certain conditions, really talk about those areas of urology that, that we've had a lot of experience with, less experience with, and how powerful it is to be part of a group like ours that takes such a a holistic approach to urology. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about urgency and frequency in men. When I was in training, we really only learned that men had one condition, that was an enlarged prostate, and that was like the mother of all the urinary symptoms, and that was it. But certainly in practice and and just kind of biologically, as we've learned as a profession, we know that there's lots of nuances there in what can cause a man to have urinary symptoms. So when a man comes to you predominantly with nighttime peeing and daytime urgency and frequency, what's some of that little speech that you give him? Yeah, that's a great
1: question. I mean, I think it's very important to get to the bottom of that pretty quickly and you know the counterintuitive um, explanation I try to give them is I'm going to do something to possibly make your frequency and urgency a little worse to start with and that is that I'm going to help you urinate better in some form or fashion. Because it's isn't it's very counterintuitive to think about it. Like, well, I'm getting to the bathroom every hour. Like, great, let's do a a surgery or medication that's going to make you go even better, but even quicker. The reason I think we've stressed the prostate and the bladder outlet first is because historically, I'm concerned, am I going to make this guy worse? If I give him a pill to slow him down, to make him go less often, well, he'll be in the ER later that night with a urinary retention and a Foley catheter placed. So I think that right away, we do things in the office that we can can try to ascertain if they truly empty their bladder? That's a very important question. So personally, I like them to come in with a full tank or a comfortably full bladder, get back in there and get a flow rate on them and see how fast they can go into a little cylinder and then measure how much they leave behind. And then subjectively try to get to the bottom of what is their bigger problem as far as the urgency, the frequency, the stream. Is it getting started and getting empty is the harder part, or is it more the overactivity?
0: You really uh, hit on it, is, is that when men come in for urinary problems, trying to distinguish those symptoms that are obstructive, such as difficulty getting started, slow flow, and I put post dribbling in there as well, versus irritative, which is nighttime peeing, urgency, and frequency, can really give me an idea of whether or not I think the prostate's the primary problem or their bladder's the problem. How does age play a role?
1: We more more about as agents age, especially they've had a lot of years of obstruction, that perhaps they're going to develop a dead bladder and contractility issues. So then they become a really high risk for retention as you place it. I think about medications, about constipation. There's a lot that goes to that. You know, you start to say, um, you know, this person has trouble elimination, they're going to end up higher with retention, I think, and also medication side effects. I also think about polyuria, which we really don't talk about, or I personally admit I I need to get more into that conversation to find out that for some reason I noticed that uh, the older we get, we almost flip our circadian rhythms to where we actually make more urine at night than we used to. So I tell them, if you're ever in the hospital, see what your nighttime shift, your 12-hour shift, 7-P to, to 7-A is versus your 7-A to 7-P. And if you're making a lot more urine at night, you have nocturnal polyuria.
0: That's a great question, and so, uh, or a great point. So, so what I do is I give them a urinal at night, and I have them uh, pee at their last pee of the night in the toilet, and all the ones through the night in the urinal. And if you're making more than 800 milliliters of urine throughout the course of the night, I consider you to be a, someone who's making too much pee. Because if you're making 800, then you did need to get up twice to pee. But if you're only making 300, then that sensation to get up and pee at night was a false sensation. That may be treated better with medications. And I also feel like the younger you are, if you're under the age of 30 or under the age of 40, you probably don't have an enlarged prostate as the cause of your urinary urgency and frequency. And I'm looking for other things like overactive bladder and pelvic floor spasticity as the cause.
1: And also some of the other non-urologic things like sleep apnea or something that got you up or pain, chronic pain. I mean, the, the big question we always ask folks is when you feel the urge to wake up and go to the bathroom, the first thing you do is you wake up and go to the bathroom, you think that's what woke you up. But sometimes it's your dog, it's your wife kicking you, or it's the fact that you snore and woke yourself up and you, you suddenly you realize, oh, I need to go to the bathroom or I'm going to wet this bed. Um. Yeah. Especially in the older patients too, we got to think about that as well.
0: So, in somebody, let's say you got the quintessential sixty-two-year-old man coming into you um, with uh, urgency, frequency, and a slow flow. Um, walk me through kind of the steps of um, what they would go through diagnostically and through medication.
1: Well, I think you you know I see I try to read what the patient is mostly interested in, especially if they if they come to you with medications. It's probably time to start thinking. Okay, th- they've maximized their meds, and a lot of them have. I mean, doubling a two Flomax pills instead of one isn't going to help him, in my opinion. So, so then I start to think diagnostically, or and do I need to look in their prostate, especially if on exam? They don't have a big prostate, but it may be all caving in on the inside, and I, and that may be their problem, or maybe they have scar tissue or some reason to look inside their prostate. And then I also offer to also measure their prostate uh, to see if they're a candidate for a lesser invasive procedure. For some patients, they, the last thing they want to think about is a surgery, and they come to you de novo having never been on a single pill, and sometimes I'll give them the option say, okay, we'll try this for a month, see how you do, and let's see if it got better, and then come back and see me and, and then decide... Yeah, that really helped, but I really don't like to take the medications where I got these side effects.
0: I think what I find is that patients really like to know that you have a next step if the first step doesn't work, and that you're not just coming up with a brand new plan every time you see them. And so for a patient like that, I will often put them on uh, Tamsulosin or Flomax to start with if they're not on it already. I'll have them come back, and I'll look in their bladder with a camera to make sure nothing's blocking, and I'll measure their prostate with an ultrasound. And if that medicine doesn't work, then I'll flip it to medicines that work predominantly on the bladder. And then if I feel that person's going to benefit from a surgical procedure, then I either try to go the line of overactive bladder or enlarged prostate, which to many of our listeners may sound like the same thing, but we know biologically and how we treat it are completely separate things.
1: I think you lose an important point uh, early on is that... Um... You know, that men and women have overactive bladder at the same degree. It's not like somehow the extra Y chromosome uh, denies us the need and have an overactive bladder. We still have overactive bladder as much as women do. It's important to probably treat that and at least set that expectation that you still may be getting up at night. It's just that you're going to get to the bathroom and get more out of you. So I think, you know, certainly I saw a guy yesterday that I thought, oh, this guy just needs a procedure. I just need to go in there and I find it. I look in, you can drive a truck through his prostate. He can knock the bark off a tree afterwards. Like, you don't have a prostate problem. It's a bladder problem. Let's go after it.
0: I think that's really great, and if you feel like you've been stuck into a one-size-fits-all uh, mentality of your urinary issues, we would love to see you as a second opinion. It's been one of the most powerful um, things that we've uh, uh, implored uh, our listeners and our patients to do. We've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of second opinions for a variety of urologic conditions, predominantly surrounded around prostate cancer, predominantly around BPH. But we'll take care of questions about your low testosterone measurement or whatnot. And in this environment, doing telemedicine visits is, uh, is, is very accessible, very easy, and very informative for you. So Donna, how do people get a hold of us?
1: You can call us at 512-238-0762. Our email address is armormenshealth at gmail.com. And our website is armormenshealth.com. To go back to your bird analogy, we're going to get the flock out of here.
0: The Armor Men's Health Hour is brought to you by Urology Specialists of Austin. For questions or to schedule an appointment, please call 512-238-0762 or online at armormenshealth.com.